Psalm chapter 1, we're going to be jumping into today. And there's um, different types of psalms in the, the, the book of Psalms. Uh, for example, there are psalms of lament. Everybody say that word, lament. Lament is basically sadness. And, um, and so there are psalms of lament. There are psalms of praise. Everybody say praise. And so just songs of praising God. There are psalms of wisdom. Everybody say wisdom. And so those are kind of the three primary ones. There's some different ones, but those are kind of the big three. And, um, and the one we're going to be jumping into today is a psalm of wisdom, which is the very first psalm, Psalm chapter 1. And uh, we're going to jump into that, and we're going to get into a praise one and a lament one over the next couple of weeks as well to kind of give us a full picture of the book of Psalms. And, and Psalms is amazing. Amazing. How many of you played some type of romance song when you got married at the wedding? At the wedding or at the reception that you danced to, you know? Okay, some of you are like, I'm not married yet. All right. How many have been to a wedding where a romance song has been played? Anybody? All right. You know, we, we tend to use songs to communicate what is in our hearts, right? The emotions, the things that we feel in our hearts. And, um, and Psalms is really no different. Those, the Psalms are written from the hearts of people, obviously inspired by God, but from the hearts of people that have something to say, that, that are, uh, have emotions about praising God or emotions related to the difficulties of life or emotions related to how to walk the right way and feelings uh, about all of those. So Psalms are incredible. We're going to jump into this chapter one, and the title of the message today is Planted. Everybody say planted. How many want to be planted in Jesus? All right. And uh, it's really a short psalm, but really this psalm, we could take a long, 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 long time uh, in it and talking about it because there is so much just gold inside of this psalm that, that we can pull out of it. But um, it's only six verses. And so I'm going to ask everybody, you got it in your bulletin. We'll have it on the screen. I've got it in my Bible right here as well. We're going to read all six verses in a loud voice, everybody together. So are you ready? Thank you, Omar. I'll ask one more time. Are you ready? All right, there we go. Let's do this, starting with verse 1. Let's read together. Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners or join in with mockers, but they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. They are like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit each season. Their leaves never wither, and they prosper in all they do. Continuing, but not the wicked. They are like worthless shaft scattered by the wind. They will be condemned at the time of judgment. Sinners will have no place among the godly, for the Lord watches over the path of the godly. But the path of the wicked leads to destruction. All right, it's a good chapter. Look at somebody close to you and tell them, get planted. Let's jump into this. Verse 1 tells us about three types of people. You see their names up there or their 
kind of groupings, right? Well, one type of people is the wicked. The wicked. The second type of people are the sinners. And the third type of people are the mockers. So we got the wicked, the sinners, and the mockers. Now, I want to take a few moments because, uh, I, honestly, I, I could preach a message today just off of one or two verses, and it'd take up the whole time. I pretty much did take up the whole time with the first two verses in the last service, and then had to run through the last four really quick. But, but the reality is there's so much here that we can learn and grow in. So um, the, the, these three groups of people, wicked, sinners, and mockers, are really important to understand in the flow of this psalm and the way it goes. And, and I want to tell you something that I looked up multiple what are called commentaries about uh, the, the, these verses and about these groups of people. And, and after reading them, I found out that I disagreed with them. And, and let me be very clear, I, I normally don't like disagree with people much smarter than me who spent their lives studying the word of God, okay? That, that's not normal for me to do. Um, but, but I think they missed it on something. And the only reason I mention that is to say that it's really important to struggle with the word of God, to really dive into it and to challenge your own assumptions and to figure out what it really means and what it's really saying and what's really going on. So here's what a lot of different kind of theologians and people who've written commentaries would say. They, they would say this, that of the three, the best of the three are the wicked. So, so the wicked are the best group. And then it goes to what's the second group? The sinners are worse than the first group, the wicked. And then it goes from the sinners to the mockers, and the mockers are the worst of all. And there's a lot of details to this about why, why people say this, but, but it's kind of like a descending order, right? It starts with the best of the three and ends with the worst of the three. I actually believe the exact opposite, that it actually starts with the worst and ends with the best. So of these three groups, the wicked are the worst. Then the sinners are a little less worse. And then the mockers, they're, you know, the best of the bunch. Doesn't mean they're good, but it just means they're better than the other ones. And you're like, why does it matter? It absolutely matters because you're going to see some things later on in how this goes. So once again, we got wicked, we have what? Sinners, and we have Mockers. All right. So the wicked, just so you have an idea, the wicked, as it's used in Scripture, especially in the Old Testament, and which is why I come to the conclusion I do, the wicked are the, is a group of people that are like evil incarnate. All right. These are people that just do evil everywhere they go. They use their power. They use their authority. They use their resources to massively hurt other people to commit injustice. I mean, when you think wicked, think Hitler, all right? Hitler fits into this category right here, all right? That is wicked. The category of sinners here is, well, everyone in this room. 
Before you knew Jesus, all right? Before you knew Jesus. Because now that you know Jesus, you have transferred from being a sinner to a saint, as Paul says, right? We are now a royal priesthood, a holy nation. We are holy. All right, but, but sinners before knowing Jesus, right? And so a sinner would be a person that lives their life sinning. I mean, like, yeah, pretty much everybody does. And, but, but not like the wicked people do. You just sin in the normal, everyday ways that everybody sins, right? Those are the sinners. And then the mockers are the ones that, well, they're basically just chilling, pointing their fingers at everybody, mocking them, and a lot of times mocking the righteous people and, and, and saying, you know, just, just mocking the people that are good, making fun of them, calling them names, doing that type of stuff. They're not out there doing crazy sins, but they are treating people bad. When I was in ninth grade of high school, I had a group of friends, and they were, some of them, and they all love Jesus today, praise God, but some of them, they were in our youth group when I was growing up, but they were mockers, and they would mock me to no end because I was a little good kid. I was, I was a good kid, right? Like I obeyed my parents, did what they told me, rarely got in trouble. Okay, I was a good kid. I really was. But my mom is here. Was I a good kid growing up? See, see, see? That is all the proof you need, all right? I was a good kid growing up. I rarely got in trouble. I can actually tell you all the times I got in trouble because it was very few times and I remember them all. I was a good kid. And my friends would mock me. They would call me goody-goody. It was like it was bad that I was good. It was like a problem, right? So you got the mockers, all right? So we got, we got the wicked, we got the sinners, and we got the mockers. Now, I need everybody to stand up with me. Everybody stand up, stand up. And hey, if you're watching on YouTube at home, stand up as well. Stand up. All right. Here we go. Don't worry. Not going to embarrass anybody. There are three words here that are uh, in verse 1 that are important to understand, not just the three groups. But I want to say something before I go on. Well, what you need to understand is that there are, uh, how many know that there are different translations of the Bible? I, I think most everybody knows that. Bunch of different translations. And a lot of times people have this question. They go, why in the world are there different translations? I mean, are they all wrong? Why isn't there just one? Well, I mean, some people actually believe that, that the original King James is the only one that should ever exist. Well, you know, they're wrong because there's different. Who speaks more than one language in the room? Yeah. If you speak more than one language, uh, you'd know this firsthand. If you only speak one, you might know this as well. But you know that some things don't translate cleanly from one language to another language. And so there's different ways of translating the Bible. One of those ways is literally word for word, text translations that just take the words as they were and put them in the new language. Another uh, way of translating is more or less thought for thought. It takes the concept and translates it into understandable language in the new language. This is the NLT, the New Living Translation. It does a lot of thought translation, meaning it just brings the concept into everyday language in English that we can understand. And so for this, it doesn't say the specific words that I'm going to tell you, but they're originally in the Hebrew. I want everybody to say these three words. Uh, first word is this, um, say walk. Okay, second word is this, 
Stand. And the third word is this, sit. All right, got the three words? All right, so let's start with the first one. What do we do? First one, let's walk. All right. Yeah, like legit, start walking. Start, yeah. Some of you are more like shuffling or waddling, you know, just side to side, you know, like a duck. That's okay. Because you're like, I'm not moving anywhere. And um, I know you're like, man, this is so weird. I came to church to walk in place. Well, what I want you to understand while you're walking, keep walking, is that it is the wicked who are walking. You are walking, according to this, with the wicked. Everybody got that? So you walk with the wicked. All right. Say it one more time. You walk with the wicked. All right. Since you passed that first test, the second word was what? Stand. All right. Yeah. So it's standing with the sinners or standing in the way, meaning the path, not like in the way of a person, but standing on the path where the sinners are. But you need to understand about this word stand. It's not just like any stand, like you're standing in the line at Disneyland for two hours waiting to get on the ride. This stand is actually um, like standing your ground, like defending yourself, holding your ground. That is the concept of standing here. So, so I want everybody to stand like you are holding your ground right now. I, I'm, I'm really saddened for some of you. Because if somebody were to actually show up and that's your version of holding your ground, it's like, come at me. It's not going to go well for you, you know. But, you know, you, you stand, right? You stand your ground. You are positioned in a way so you do not lose ground at all, right? And then the last word was what? Sit. So, so what do you think you should do? Oh, man, you guys are incredible. This is amazing. Sunday is going so well so far. So well. And you are sitting with the, uh, what are all of you doing right now? Just sat down with a bunch of mockers. So, so you have walking with the wicked. You have kind of standing in the sin, right, of the sinners. Like, I'm going to hold my, I'm going to stand my sin because I like my sin, right? And then you have sitting with the mockers. And all of these, all of these, and the reason why it translates as it does here, which is, um, those who do not follow, follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners or join in, and that word is important, is because the idea, even in the Greek, even though it uses walk, stand, and sit, is about joining in the practice of what those groups of people are doing. So if you are walking with the wicked, then you are doing wicked things. If you are standing with the sinners, then you are staying stuck in your own sin. And if you're sitting with the mockers, you are joining in the mocking. Everybody understand that. And so what is told to us right here is, oh, the joys of those who do not do any of those three. And, and the reason why I really do believe that these are ascending in terms of they get less and less worse rather than more worse is because of this. Some of us would listen to the, to the wicked part, the walking with the wicked, and you're like, well, I'm definitely not Hitler, so that's not me. God's like, all right, well, you're not that. How about 
standing with the sinners. And there's some people like, yeah, that might describe me. Yep, yep, that's me. And then some of you are like super righteous. You're like, that is definitely not me. I've been saved by the grace of Jesus. I am walking with the Lord. I am amazing. And God's like, I got one more. The mockers. You just sit around and you complain about everything. You're like, look at how that preacher made a mistake today. Look at what they were wearing to church today. Or you do it with your kids. You're like, you did it wrong. Always wrong. Always messing up, right? You're just always about antagonizing and going after people. And then if you don't fit into any of those three categories, you are like on your way to perfection and holiness right now. You are amazing. I don't know what else to say. But the joys of those who do not participate in any of these three. Now, why do they not participate in any of these three? Verse 2 tells us why. But they what? Delight. They what? They delight in the law of the Lord. They delight in the law of the Lord. They delight in Scripture. They delight in Jesus. That your greatest delight, your greatest joy is found in Jesus. And you're like, then say Jesus. Well, of course it's Jesus. John chapter 1 tells us that Jesus is the word of God. And so to delight in his word is to delight in Jesus himself, the living word of God. And I want to tell you today, and I, let me just tell you, I, I have said this so many times in so many preachings, but I will never get tired of saying it, ever. That if you want the greatest way to not walk in the paths of the wicked, the sinners, or the mockers, is not to go to where the wicked, the sinners, and the mockers are and be like, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I'm strong. I'm not going to do it. No, no, no. The easiest way to not walk in their ways, because let me be clear, the wicked are going to show up in your life. You're definitely going to have a bunch of sinners in your life, and you're definitely guaranteed to have even more mockers around you if you aren't one yourself. God bless you. And, um, and you're like, why is he offending us on Sunday morning? But the reality is, is that you're always going to have those people around you. It's just going to happen. You can't escape it. So how do you live differently? You don't live differently by attempting to not do it. You live differently by delighting in Jesus. Because Jesus becomes your greatest goal and your greatest benefit and your greatest joy that everything else no longer compares. Two years ago, when COVID started, two, two, two and a half years ago, um, I had just gotten a smoker for, for meat, right? To, to, to smoke meat. And, um, and, and I, I loved it. I, I started doing like everything in there, everything from, you know, uh, a prime rib roast to anything, everything, turkey, to like everything you could think of, brisket, and all these types of things. And then my wife one day goes, can you just do normal meat? And I'm like, normal meat? 
You mean normal, like not smoked? And I'm like, okay, all right. So I'm going to buy myself a charcoal grill because to that day, I had still never cooked with charcoal two years ago. So I decided, you know what? And I'd been using the gas grills all the time because those are like easy, right? Charcoal's like hard. You got to like build the fire and make it happen. It's like all this work. It's actually really not a lot of work once you know what you're doing, but, but, but you know, charcoal grill. So I had all these gift cards to Amazon. And so I went and I bought myself, I didn't go. Well, I went to my phone, I guess. And I bought myself a Weber charcoal grill. All right. So I get this and it gets delivered to my house and I put it together and it was fantastic because it was free. That is always the best. Amen. Right. Amen. Yeah. All right. And so I got it and I start cooking on charcoal and oh my gosh, it was amazing. And then a few months later, when the Lord tells us to sell our house, I had to put it in storage and thank God for my wonderful mom and dad who let me keep things stored in their garage for two years and they didn't charge me a penny. Praise Jesus. And one of the things that was stored in their garage was, if anybody needs storage space, because I've started moving mine out, they have some extra space available now. Um, but one of the things was my charcoal grill. And it was there for two years until a week ago where I put it in the minivan and brought it to my house. And it's fantastic. I am so happy. And, um, and that charcoal grill, and I cooked on it like, like a week ago. And then I, I had bought this piece of meat on sale and, and was expecting to cook it. And, and yesterday, my kids come up to me and they go, we're hungry. What are we going to eat? It's this crazy thing. Like every day they get hungry again. I don't, I don't, I don't know what's going on. And it's like it, it's on repeat, like sometimes multiple times a day. That they get hungry. I don't know how this works, but anyways, so um, so the community were hungry, and if you and then I say, well, what did your mom say? And they said she sent me to you. And so here's what's going to happen: if you come to me at dinner time and say you're hungry, and I don't have a big plan, you know what you're going to get? Meat, steak. I mean that 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 is what it's going to be. So I pull out this steak. I've got the charcoal going. The fire is going. I pull out the steak only to find out that it had been defrosting in my fridge a little bit too long, too many days, and it was no longer good. So then I had to rush to the store, find out what was on sale because I'm still doing steak, praise God. But, but I had to find out what was on sale, and I found some New York strip steak that was on sale, and I bought that, bring it back home. Eight steaks were a family of seven. Give me a break, everybody. And um, eight steaks and, and, you know, in the value pack. And, and I get it, I bring it, and I put it on the grill. And I'm not showing you a picture, but these steaks turned out perfectly amazing, as good as they could possibly be. And let me tell you, it doesn't always happen that way, but it did last night. And, and I cut it open, and it was glorious. It was absolutely like heaven on my cutting board. And then I like put them on the plates. And then finally I sat down and ate. And oh my gosh, it was just incredible. I was so happy. And my wife is in the front row and she can prove this, that I was very happy last night. But you see, after all of that, there is just nothing else that compares. I can go to a restaurant and pay five times as much and I will leave unhappy. 
because they just don't do it right. I am a steak snob. I fully admit to it in front of everybody here at church today, all right? But here's the point. Because when you've tried the best, only the best ever works. And when you delight in the Lord, <laughs> nothing else compares to what he produces in your life. There is nothing else whatsoever. And I delight in Jesus. I love Jesus. I love his word. I love spending time with, in prayer with him. More than steak? Yes, absolutely more than steak. Because I actually fast. And so, you know, a lot of you fast as well. And so if you fast, you definitely love Jesus more than food, let me tell you. And, um, and, and I love Jesus. He's the best and, and when you delight in him, the natural end result of that is will you, you will not be walking with the wicked or standing with the sinners or sitting and mocking with the mockers because none of that will bring you joy anymore when you have tasted the goodness of God in your life. Does anybody believe that today? And because of that, the question is, how can we develop delight in the Lord? And the psalmist literally gives us the answer. But they delight in the law of the Lord doing what? Do, doing what? Meditating on it day and night. Meditating on the word of God day and night. Now let me be clear, because some of you think, you, you hear about meditation in other religions, like in Buddhism or in Hinduism, uh, kind of the Eastern religions, and you hear about meditation, and, and whenever you hear that, because it's, it's, it's done in other places, all of a sudden you're like, is meditation wrong? And the answer is absolutely not. It's biblical to meditate. Well, the, but, but, but what way, how do we meditate? Well, let me make something very clear. The way of meditation in Eastern religions is primarily and almost solely focused on emptying your mind. Everybody say the word empty. In fact, in one of them, to, to move towards nirvana eventually, which is a state of nothingness. So it's a, a complete emptying of oneself. But Christianity teaches the exact opposite. That our lives in God are not about becoming nothing, but they're about becoming full in Christ. To, to become fully his and to be developed fully into who he has made us to be. Not to become, em oh, empty of sin, amen, hallelujah, yes. But, but not empty as the end result, no. To be made complete and whole in Jesus, that is our end result. And so meditation, we can give that applause to the Lord. So meditation for us as believers is not about emptying. It's actually about filling. It's completely different. It's still meditating, but the end result is completely different. And so how do you meditate on the word? Well, the word meditate here, literally, it, it means groans and utters. And so it's like, you know, th think about if you're in major pain, right? If you've been hurt, all you might have are groans, right? Like, oh, you know, you're just 
groaning. And, and you groan over and over and over again as long as the pain lasts. Does anybody know what I'm talking about, right? Because, you know, since all of you are a bunch of holy people and you love Jesus, right, 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 in the room, that when like a hammer falls on your foot and before you knew Jesus there were a lot of words that would come out of your mouth and and after you know Jesus you're like I can't use those words so all you get are groans coming out like that's usually what happens some of you are like I'm still working on that part becoming more like Jesus all right God bless you but there's this sense of repetition right with groans and utters they, they, they continue. It's not just a one-time thing. And so you meditate on the Word of God. You meditate on it day and night. This is how you learn to delight in the Lord, is by meditating in Him. In fact, if, if we were to talk about the top practices or habits of a believer to walk with Jesus, one of those is obviously a prayer life. Another one, big one, is obviously a devotional life where you're in the Word every day asking the Lord what He's speaking to you. But another of the top five for me would be meditating on His Word. What does that look like? Well, take it. It is groans. It is uttering the Word of God. And watch what He says, day and night. So the idea here is repetition. Yes, Repetition. So you could take a verse, like for example, Philippians 4.13, which says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Everybody say it like I said it right now. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, right? Philippians 4.13. Different versions say it different ways. But I could take that verse, for example, and I could meditate on it all day. What can I do with that? I just repeat it. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I normally shout when I'm on the freeway. That's usually where I'll get the least amount of looks if I'm shouting in the car. But I do. I shout. I shout the word of God. I pray loudly sometimes. And I pray quietly sometimes. I do it all. Because it's all good and it's all useful. And then you, you can take a verse like that. I can do all things. And you can, you can focus on a single word. For example, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all three things through Christ who strengthens me. And by focusing on a word in the repetition, what you do is you force your brain to think about that word and what the word of God is telling you. So rather than emptying your mind, you are filling your mind and heart with the word of God and every word, every single word of it that has power for your life. You know, there's a lot of people today, and, and, and I, I, I've probably preached this over the years, and it bears repeating because we need to be reminded of things because a lot of times we, we remember them, but we don't practice them, and it's important to practice them. And, and, and a lot of people will be like, you know what, I'm a failure. I'm a failure. I am such a failure. I am always a failure. I always will be a failure. I'm a failure. I've always been a failure. All these things I've done prove that I'm a failure. I am a failure. And then all of a sudden you're talking to somebody and you're like, I don't know why, but I feel like I'm a failure. 
Yeah, maybe because you're meditating on lies. And the longer you meditate on the lies, you begin to believe the lies. What would happen if you begin to meditate on the word of God? To replace the lies that are on repeat in your brain and replace them with a repeat of the truth of God's word in your brain. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Oh, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And every time your brain tells you I'm a failure, meet it with 10 times of I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And you'll watch how the lies begin to disappear from your life. Meditate on the word of God and you will delight in him and all these other things will no longer look attractive to you because of the goodness of God in your life. Can anybody say amen to this? They delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. And so then it says in verse three, they are like trees planted along the riverbank bearing fruit each season. This first sentence right here is actually very biblical. It's used, I mean, it's in the Bible, obviously, but it's used many times. Ezekiel has a vision of a river that flows from the temple of God. And as he walks along this river, in the river, it gets deeper and deeper to a point where he can't cross it anymore. But in this vision, he sees that as the river goes, there are trees on both sides of the river. And it says that the leaves are for the healing of the nations. These trees have fruit. These trees have life that is given as a blessing to others. But not only there, in the book of Revelation, we have the new Jerusalem later on in the book of Revelation. And down the middle of the city flows the river of life. And on both sides of the river, once again, are trees that bear fruit. And in heaven, these trees don't even bear fruit every season. They bear fruit every month. Normally trees, they bear fruit once, once a year, but these are bearing it constantly, consistently in heaven. And so, so we got these pictures and, and God makes clear that if you would delight in him, meditate on his word, the end result is you will be a tree that is what? What does it say right there? A tree that is what? Planted, come on. Everybody say the word. Now tell somebody close to you, get planted. Here's a tree that is planted that bears fruit in its season. And then it says this, their leaves never wither. Do you know why leaves wither on a tree? I do. I do. Because I have an orange tree in the house we moved into that was covered by all the trash from the remodeling work we had to do. And when I, we took, got rid of the trash, the trash didn't destroy the tree. Don't worry, the tree is good. Um, the trash didn't destroy it, but the leaves had started withering. Now, had they started withering because the trash was there? No. Nope. They had started withering because while the trash was there, I was not watering the tree because I really didn't feel like watering the trash. And so once we got rid of the trash, we start watering the tree, and all of a sudden, the leaves are coming back to life again. The leaves wither not because of anything above the ground, but because of what happens below the ground. The roots need to be connected to water. 
the tree is planted along the riverbank. It is planted where the water is. Jesus, who is our water of life. And as we are planted in him with roots that reach into his water, then our leaves never wither. And it says, they prosper in all they do. How many receive that word for your life? That you will prosper in all you do. But then it says this in verse 4, and this is really interesting. And, and right now, well, what I'm going to do is start bringing everything back around and bring everything together as this psalm tells us. In verse 4, it says, but not the wicked. What does he say? The wicked are not trees planted by the riverbank whose leaves do not wither. No, no, no. The wicked are like what? Worthless chaff. This is like worthless chaff. This is like the the grain, the stalks of grain that have gotten disconnected or, 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 or you know, thin sticks that have gotten disconnected and are just dried out. And they are scattered by the what? They're scattered by the what? By the wind. And this word wind is very interesting because the word wind here is the same word that is used for spirit in the Old Testament. So when you read in the Old Testament, right in Genesis 1, that the spirit was hovering over the waters, the deep waters, it's the exact same word for spirit there that is here for wind. And God is giving us clear understanding through essentially a double meaning, a natural and a supernatural one, that the, that the, the, the wicked, this is the same wicked in verse 1, that the wicked will be scattered by the Spirit of God. They will be taken out. They will be taken away. And I want you to capture this today. You know what happens to a tree that is planted with strong roots and healthy? You know what happens when the wind comes to the tree? It gets refreshed. And you know what happens to the wind when it comes to the shaft? It gets blown away. It's the same spirit doing the same thing. It's the same wind. But when that wind hits the wicked, it blows them away. But when it hits the righteous who are planted in Jesus, it is a source of refreshment for each and every one of us in our lives. And so they will be, it says, condemned at the time of judgment. They, who is they? The wicked. Okay, real quick, who remembers the three groups? First group, the worst, are the wicked. The second group, sinners. And the third group, mockers. And the wicked, if you remember, are walking, and the sinners are standing their ground, and the mockers are sitting and mocking. And so it mentions the wicked who will be condemned at the judgment, and it mentions the sinners, but it doesn't for some reason mention the mockers. In fact, the word mockers is found only one time in the entire Old Testament, this particular word, and it's only found in Psalm chapter 1, verse 1. It's not found again. And I want you to journey with me for these last couple of minutes. I'm about to finish. But I want you to see what God 
is going to do, and I want you to see what God is inviting you to do. Is everybody ready? Here's what is actually being said in the Hebrew. The wicked who before would walk in their wickedness, here, the word condemned is actually, they won't be able to rise or stand up. Not the same as stand your ground. No, no. They won't even be able to get up. That as much as they will try, the wicked, when the judgment of God comes, they'll be like, I've got, I got to, no. And, and they won't, they won't be able to get up. They are stuck on the ground, completely destroyed, completely powerless. That is the end result of the wicked. The wicked who walked on earth doing their wickedness will no longer be able to even get up off the ground in the judgment of God. God will have his way with them. And you don't need to sweat it. You just keep being a tree planted by the riverbank and God will deal with the wicked. And what about the sinners? Well, interesting. Because what it says about the sinners is the same thing. They won't be able to rise. But it's a different location. It's not the judgment. I want you to see where it is. The sinners will have no place. Again, it's the same concept. They won't be able to rise among the godly. What's actually written in the Hebrew is among the congregation. Raise your hand if you're part of the congregation. Yep. The congregation of saints, the people that love Jesus. And what it's saying is the sinners won't be able to rise in the congregation. They won't be able to have their way with the people of God. And in fact, in many cases, there's some verses in the Old Testament that communicate that the sinners can actually hear God's word and then come to him and repent and, and, and give their lives to God. So we believe that that happens in this place, in Vida Church. Is anybody with me? That sinners won't have their way, but God will have their way in them. And if they do rise, they will rise as saints in Jesus. But in their sin, they won't be able to get up and do anything. But then, for some reason, the mockers are not mentioned. Because where the wicked face God's judgment, but the sinners are located in the congregation, watch this, the mockers, now I got to tell you, right before I end, this is at best my opinion about the matter. Not what you're going to find in a lot of um, um, commentaries or whatnot. Because like I said, the word is only used one time. But as best I can figure from the, the pattern that is happening in this chapter is that while the wicked are outside and face God's judgment and the sinners actually can come into the congregation and hopefully be made whole and new in Jesus, the mockers were also in the congregation, but they were spending all their time just kind of like the Pharisees in the day of Jesus. But is it possible for a mocker to become a just person that instead of mocking, they start walking in the ways of Jesus. Instead of pointing fingers at what everybody else is doing wrong, they start 
activating in the ways of God, doing what God has called them to, which is why I believe that mockers don't show up at the end because all the mockers, see the, the, the wicked went from walking to they can't even get up in God's judgment and the sinners go from standing strong in their sin to not even being able to get up and having to submit to Christ. And then the mockers go from just sitting and mocking to now all of a sudden walking because in verse six, it says this, for the Lord watches over the path. Everybody say the path, the path of the godly, which means the godly start doing what? Walking, but they're not walking in the ways of the wicked. They're on a different path. They're in the path of the godly, walking in the ways of Jesus because they delight in the Lord. God has called you to walk, but he's called you to walk on a godly path as a son or daughter of God. But the path of the wicked leads to destruction. How many want to be planted? Stand up with me today and let's pray. Jesus, we thank you so much. We thank you for your life. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for all that you do in us. We thank you that you are faithful, that you are strong in our lives, that you are leading us and guiding us, directing us by your spirit. And so Jesus, today, I pray for each and every one of my friends that they would become planted, become planted in you, that they would become strong in your ways, that they would become the people that you have called them to be. Oh, Lord Jesus. Oh, Lord Jesus, move in hearts, move in minds today. And if you are wanting to be planted in the river of God, if that's you, whether you're wanting to know Jesus for the first time or whether you're wanting to get yourself planted strong because you've been somewhat disconnected, and if that's you today and you want to come to Jesus, get strong in Jesus, would you raise up a hand right now? I just want to bless you. I just want to bless your life. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for all these hands that are being raised. Today is your day. May you begin to walk in the fullness of God. Walk in the presence of God. Walk in the life of God. And that as you are planted, may you be strengthened in the ways of Jesus. Walking with him and living the call that he has placed on your life. In Jesus' name. And how may I say amen? Let's sing.